Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest, Joe Rocky Jr. He has created a successful real estate career beginning in the immediate aftermath of the recession in 2009. And over the years, he has seen people live and work from a, from a wide array of vantage points. Currently, he operates multiple rental, flip, rent-to-own, and networking op- companies. In the unpaid areas of life, he runs the podcast Father and Joe where they attempt to return individuals to a place of faith in their lives. Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, before we get into exactly what you do, tell us how you got onto the entrepreneurial path. You know, did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? Is dad the entrepreneur that kind of guided you with that? Or, or are you the first? No, he's about as opposite as you can be in retrospect. In fact, when I, so I started uh, because I'm one of the very few who fell in love with the bug of commission. I like the notion that I got paid based upon what I did and that potential being vastly more than those around me. But obviously that comes with the pitfalls, at least when I was in college, of getting paid four times a year and then figuring out how to make it work out. Um, that was that was essentially how it went. I made more than everyone around me, but it was a lot of feast for fame and learning how to do that commission road. So that's really how I started. I mean, my, my second job was that, and that's when I was what 18 or something so i just got into the, the commission lifestyle and then when i was in college i made the decision that i have to learn skills skills are what get you paid not theories so at that point it was what's the most universal skill set i can find and every business needs to know where their money is that's basically what accounting is and every business needs to know how to get more money that's what finance is one of the two options of that and sales is the other one so I pretty much figured I would have a skill set that would be acceptable to everywhere. And when I was entering college, there was no recession. Um, but when I was coming out of it, it was, okay, we just said no to a bunch of accounting firms that were really good in the first half of the semester. Now in the second semester, my people who did say yes to those jobs, my classmates, they're finding out those jobs just got rescinded. Mm. So it basically was like, all right, what is out there that someone would take me? And for better or worse, the financial advisor people um, who basically are just paid to sell life insurance and annuities will take anyone if you're willing to do it on commission. And I was, so I was underclassman the first year or rookie of the year, the first year, underclassman the second year and third year I left. And the company I was in basically put me on an island anyway. So I essentially was being an entrepreneur, but not getting any of the upside of the payouts of it. So we love that venture to go create one where I can control my own product and hence life insurance or hence uh, life insurance became real estate. And that's where we are. Beautiful. So how, where did you learn to sell then? I mean, obviously if you're, you're, if you're commission based and you love that from the beginning, you know, did you, everybody, everybody I talked to is a pretty good salesman. Well, most people, they, they tell me this brilliant story and I love hearing about them about like, Oh yeah, there was this guy named, uh, you know, Joe Sr. And he taught me everything I knew had to know about sales, or did you kind of do it on your own? Oh, I certainly have a guy like that, but it took me a while to find him. So I essentially started um, with the old tool time way of everything that could have gone wrong. I mean, I probably have had the worst sales managers from the time I was 18 until 23. And the fact that I'm still doing it despite them just shows how much I really like that when it works, I get paid a lot mentality of commission. But 
when I came out and I realized I was going to be making this transition of leaving equitable and going to be doing something myself, I, I knew that I wanted to, to stay in sales because it was going to be essential for any business owner. And that's when I paired up with a guy named Dan Hudock. He's the greatest sales teacher I've ever met in my life. He actually addresses things in reality. And in one of the first conversations I said, you know, I'm in my twenties. I'd much rather learn how to just do this right than keep making new mistakes over again. I mean, eventually I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail, but I might as well know I'm going down a good route and have my own fumbles on it rather than trying to swim upstream. So Dan, um, Dan is an incredibly good sales teacher and and that's what he did. He taught me how to sell um, better and better. Yeah. What, what is there anything you can point to specifically that maybe, stands out to our audience of, you know, a couple tips on, on selling um, that he taught you. Sure. So, so in general sales is what three major components, you got to get people in the door. You got to get people to want to buy your product. You got to deliver on your product. Essentially what he told me was it was okay not to be good at everything and to find people that are better than you, because I personally hate prospecting. I'd way rather be in the field talking to people and making things happen And it was this learning of how to acquire people who are the opposite of me that want to be behind a desk to fill up my calendar, but don't really have the desire to be in the field. Mm -hmm. And once that kind of became set and how to do that correctly, it really took off. So I think that's the main thing. I mean, obviously he helped me with every single fine detail along the way. So trying to pick one thing that Dan taught me to make it amazing is, is hard. Mm-hmm. But the, the main component of saying, find someone who's better than you that actually wants to do this will always lead to better success. And that's where we ended up. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. I mean, you can't do everything. And I think that's a, that's a, it's, it's, we also, when I used to teach at CU Boulder and uh, one of the things I would tell uh, our design students similar to that was that you don't have to redesign the wheel. I mean, you you were building on designs of the past. So thinking that you have to be this all, everything all at once, I think is um, really opens doors for people in their mind. Um, Well, tell us about your companies. Um, Maybe we can start from the beginning because I know you have several of them, you know, Mm -hmm. what are they, what are they, and what do they currently do? So the, the first one I started was the flipping company. So, you know, that it, there's nothing really complicated. Every TV show tries to make it find a broken house, fix it up, resell it for more. Uh, TV makes it look way different than it is in reality, for the record. Um, I was coming out having sold life insurance and annuities to professionals, attorneys, surgeons, stuff like that. So when it came time to running my first crew, I had this mentality that people would do what they said they would do. They would show up on time. They they would keep their word. And this first guy just took me for a ride flat out. There's no other way around it. And that happens to a lot of people very often. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And quite frankly, had I not already purchased the second flip before I finished the first one, I probably wouldn't still be doing this because of how big of a bath I took on that first project. Mm -hmm. But, you know, experience can teach you a lot. Um, I'm committed not to make the same mistake again. I'll find a new way to make a different mistake, but not the same one again. So the second flip turns out, turns out awesome. And the real thing that I wanted, and this was true even coming out of college, was I wanted work that I did when I was younger to pay for me when I was older. And part of equitable, I can't believe it took me three years to read this, was I got paid a 0.1% commission rate. Said another way, you had to work a thousand years to get one year's worth of residuals, which 
was another reason to really get the hell out. So with that all being said, I wanted to get to the rentals because back in 11, it was really kind of the only avenue I saw where I could get residual income to me. It's not like now where you can build a new software program and have residuals paid to you where people are used to the Netflix and Disney channel model Mm -hmm. where you pay on a monthly basis. Then it was basically your utilities and your mortgage and or rent. That was basically the only things people were paying on a monthly basis. Cause again, Netflix hasn't taken off yet. So that, that was really what I wanted. I wanted residual income. This is the way to do it. And that's kind of how we ended in real estate, but that was why we were doing all the flips to get the money to buy the rentals. And then once we bought the rentals, we, we took off from there. Rental companies went for a while. My first rental company actually got bought out of Um, my partner who was doing it with me. His daughter at the time was in like fourth grade and he figured out the amount of money we needed to go do his college expenditures. We got to that point. He said, Joe, I'm buying you out while she's in high school. So he paid me off for basically the next five years for me to do nothing. And that was really cool. So it was, it was, let's go be build more of these. Let's get this residual income going. And it really been taken off from there in 2017. We shut down the rest of the flipping companies. And that's when I started really focusing on my networking companies where I still had all these leads coming in, but not the desire to flip them anymore. So I would sell them to investors that want them. So I would go to, the house of the granddaughter because grandma died mm-hmm. i would buy it from her and then without doing any work i would sell it to a guy who actually did want to fix it up and that was strictly profit based upon my own sales ability can i get the house at a low enough number to make it work because i had done flips for so long i know what it would cost and what an investor would buy it for can i get to buy it at a low enough point and that's really where my business has been with that in rentals and rent to owns since 2017. Yeah. So you're currently in a in real estate investor then. Yes. You have mm-hmm. rentals. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. What do you, what's, tell us about that portfolio. If, if that's okay to ask that question. I know some people are a little bit close to the best. Sure. sure. Yeah. So, so, so my portfolio now is all single families cause they're all <laughs> rent owns. Mm-hmm. So every single person who buys my property or yeah, I tell them this is no longer a tenant landlord relationship. Yes, you are signing a lease, but you are also signing the option to buy this house, which means we know the time frame you're going to buy it during, we know how much you're going to pay for it, and we also know that it's ultimately your responsibility. So I treat people as if it's going to be whenever their mortgage company owns the house. So when you're three years in your mortgage and the pipe starts leaking, you're going to figure it out, not your bank. That's just a fact of life. So we treat people like that. But there's also the freedom of if you want to paint your girl's room Barbie pink, you can do that. If you want to, you know, put up Batman stickers or whatever in your son's room, knock yourself out. But you're also cutting the grass and, you know, shoveling the snow. So in that regards, I have outsourced all of the problems that comes with being a traditional landlord and essentially put them on the tenants. I've given them the major upside that they can make it their own, which also fights the problem of them leaving because now it's more theirs. They want to have it. And I have found this great formula that builds a relationship up that they are investing in the house and they're liking it. And eventually when they do buy it, I get 10 years worth of rent profits all in one day. It's awesome. The only drawback from my side is I have to then eventually replace that house, Hmm. but that's part of business. I mean, that's just a cost doing business. Nothing is always perfect, but 
in terms of the big things that can go wrong with being a landlord, got rid of them. So even whenever I was told I was unessential and couldn't do my job, I was still getting paid and then they still wanted to pay. So long story short, that's how we got there with the, the rent to own program. Yeah. yeah. Legally is not a rent to own program. I need to describe that. Um, but that there's a lot of legal nuances that go into that, that is not this show. <laughs> now, was that, was that, was that driven the, the move to go to that model? Was that driven because you didn't want the landlord uh, responsibilities? And I mean, was that, what, what was the driving factor and like, how were you influenced to go that route? Yeah. So there's a lot of drawbacks of being a landlord. Just most people don't recognize these, especially if you were a decent tenant or never a tenant before in your life. But there is never a situation where you go to a property that has a tenant in it that doesn't cost you money, period. So the, the more you can eliminate the, those interactions, the better. So what I did was I looked at a way to, to eliminate those interactions first. The first thing I wanted to remove was the fighting over where's my check. So I found a company at the time, it was called Koozie. They since have been bought by apartments.com. And that's all they do. They go and collect the check for me. And if the tenants don't pay, they get a little email with Jeff Goldblum and a satty face. And then they get hit with a giant fee. So at the end of the day, it doesn't happen very often because banks are not cool when you bounce checks, let alone when extra fees from third parties start getting applied. So I got all of that out of my life. I got, then it became the having to shovel the snow because Whenever you're getting snow, I don't want to leave my house first off. It's cold outside, um, let alone to go somewhere else to shovel the snow just to have a potential problem with something else. So eliminated all of that. And most people don't trust their tenants. I guess that's the starting point that makes me different from most landlords, especially guys who have been in the game long enough. Most landlords look at tenants as you're going to be a problem. You're going to destroy my house. It's just a matter of when, not if. And I look at the opposite. You know, I'm looking for people that are actually going to fulfill and purchase this property. And as a result, the clients I'm looking for are different because most people do not want what I am selling, nor do I want them. So mm -hmm. I'm okay being in a smaller group trying to fish for it because what I'm getting is better results. And normally it's people who have good jobs, but their current life circumstances, they don't have the credit to get a mortgage. So these are people essentially fall in one of two categories, either A, they had no idea how credit worked when they were younger and they're trying to catch up with credit card debt, or B, their divorce attorney told them to kill their credit out of spite. So in either situation, I'm dealing with people who have good jobs, they want to own the house, and they just don't want to be micromanaged. And there is a complete segment of society that doesn't want to see me as much as I don't want to see them. And that's essentially who I end up with. I end up with a ton of introverts with bad credit scores. I mean, at the end of the day, that's my marketing system. Hmm. There's no real way to explicitly say that, but that's what ends up happening. <laughs> well, thank you for unpacking that. I really appreciate your willingness uh, for the details. I, I'm, a, I'm a landlord myself, not in, not in, the, in the way you do it, um, as my wife is as well. She's a real estate investor. So I'm just always interested in, that's one of the reasons why I had you in the show. I knew we would get along as far as real estate goes. Mm -hmm. um, so on, on that note, I'm sure we also kind of maybe see government uh, being in the way um, yes. and that, okay. So let's uh, tell us uh, in, in your world, you know, how, how do you see right now, you know, the government and the courts impacting real estate sort of where we're at right now. And then the second question is 
affordable housing. It's his, you know, it's his buzzword. It's this thing that needs to happen. But uh-huh. in the city I operate in, their idea is that they are going to start taxing people who are developers in order to cre- in order to create uh, affordable housing. And I know the government does not create affordable housing. Like developers oh, no. create affordable housing. So just what are your thoughts on that? Well, all right. So starting point, um, you cannot artificially just because you feel like it keep making things more expensive through your code law. So it code that has been since 1984 is just as safe in keeping your house from burning down to the same code that's being put in place now. But the difference is about 40 X the cost. So in any company, regardless of who you're looking at, the person who pays all of the costs of the governmental fees, including taxes, is always the end user, period. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no, that's an economical fact of life. So the more stupid fees you put on because some lobbyist paid you to use these arc fault circuit breakers rather than the exact same ones that always work regardless, just means that your chance of having something be less expensive is not. I live in Pittsburgh. It is impossible to build a brand new property from scratch for less than $300,000 whenever it comes time to resell, because we're not doing this out of the goodness of our hearts. We're not Habitat for Humanity. We're doing this for a profit so I can make sure all of my employees get paid and also I get paid as well. That's a fact of life. So if if the government, which normally starts with an opposition to that fact, says that, that that's the problem that we're renovating things and making things better, no. That, that, that's not the problem. The problem is you're not letting us build things that are still safe. Like people think you code 84, it's not going to be safe anymore. Yes, it is. Those houses are still standing. Yeah. Um, you know, you go anywhere in this country. That's, that's a city that's relatively old, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, all the ones on the East coast. There are plenty of houses built before world war II that are doing just old fine. Um, and that's a bit major problem that you put all of these rules in effect that slow things down, that keep you from being able to build the so-called affordable housing. Um, the other factor is you can't pay people not to work that are capable of working because that diminishes the workforce within itself to be able to get people to, to go and do the jobs that no one wants to do, like digging the ditches or climbing on the roofs. So that in itself your program of the government paying people not to work is making things more expensive inherently. And I haven't even gotten to the courts yet. This is just from (laughs) in in the mayor's office and in the County planning division. Mm -hmm. So the, the issue that that's going to come with the courts is the courts are going to make the recession that's coming up prolonged. So we already have right now, the beginnings of experiencing of inflation today. We're, We're seeing that, that's part of why it's mostly the reason why gas costs so much nationwide. It's not because Putin went to war. It's because we decided to pay trillions of dollars to pay people not to work and keep them in fear. Agreed. That's what we did. And that's the ramifications that are happening now. What will happen over the course between this winter and this spring is the bottom end of real estate markets are going to fall through the face of the earth because inevitably eventually judges are going to wake up and say, we have to evict people. We can't let them live for three years for free. Mm. And the more shut down your state is, the harder it's going to be. The more shut down your city is, the harder it's going to be. And people are going to disregard it at first because it's going to be in those neighborhoods 
that are crappy already. Why do I care if there's more vacant buildings? Well, here's why you should care. First off, banks control our economy, no questions about it. And when banks stop getting paid, they get mad. And when they get mad, everything shuts down. Fact of life. So you have all these landlords that haven't been paid for year, year and a half, two years in Pennsylvania's case, three years in California's case, and probably going to be longer. And what, they're not fixing up their properties. You never get a property back after you evict someone that's awesome. It doesn't happen. So <laughs> it's going to be broken. And here's the, the, the major component. So in Pennsylvania, 40% of the tenants stopped paying the day they found out that they couldn't get kicked out. So for two years, 40% of the tenants stopped working. So to make easy math on myself, say you had five units, three of them kept paying, two of them didn't. Now you finally evict them two years later after all of this problem, not to mention you still have to keep paying the mortgages and the taxes throughout all of this. You then are walking into a property that is not livable and you don't have the capital to fix it because you probably barely stayed afloat with only three of your properties active. So what are you going to do? You're eventually going to have to just liquidate it. But you don't have, as, as a current landlord, the capability or probably even desire to buy a new one. So for the four landlords that are left that want to keep being landlords, there's no desire to go buy your broken house now. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait some more. Because eventually that price, because of basic supply and demand economics, there will be a ton of supply virtually no demand because no bank's giving a loan anymore. No bank is giving a loan to a, a, a house in those types of areas. They just all failed. I'm not giving you another loan. So now we're done with cash buyers, even less demand as a result of less capability. And boom. Oh, well, we don't care. That's the bad parts of our neighborhood. We, we don't talk about those. Well, here's the, this other fact of that decision there, Mr. Politician, is that you just made a ton of people homeless. And there's nowhere to put them because there's no houses that are fixed. So for those landlords that actually went through and fix up their properties, they have a ton of people who want to move in and only one house. Well, that's supply and demand in the other direction. They can charge whatever they want and be selective as they want for those tenants. And I know for myself, any single person that got evicted or any problem that implies evicted that shows up on their court from the day COVID started and through 2022, that's on your record for 10 years in Pennsylvania, and you'll never be my tenant or anyone who's going to be in your house has that. So I'm not just shunning you. I'm kicking your entire family out and taking you off my list forever because that decade basically is forever. So that's a fact of life. But hey, you got paid not to work. Have fun. Have fun for the next decade. And that's what's going to be. The politicians are then just going to say, oh, landlords are evil and people are mm -hmm. mean, but there is no economic solution other than that. This is a built-in problem because we paid people not to work and paid them to be scared. And this is the ramifications. So that's going to kick off here in a couple of months or whatever, a year or maybe. But the really big hammer of this is banks haven't been allowed to evict anyone either that knew that, that they didn't want to pay their mortgage. And that nestle is a much larger percentage of the pie than the bottom end landlords. That is people who have normal level houses, 
upper level houses and the extreme upper level houses that just decided not to pay. And there's a lot more about them out there than you think. And when that happens, because the court system for bankruptcy countrywide is run by congressional, that's a three-year process. That is now a gluttony supply that hits the market of available properties and people who just went through bankruptcy that cannot rebuy them. That is going to be so much worse than the, the, the recession we just had because it's bigger. And the last recession, the subprime recession, is essentially going to mirror what this, this first half will be. The second half is going to be massive. And it will, it will delay, it will, it will look like we're coming out of the recession. And then this anchor of bankruptcies will hit the country in three years in 2025. And it will take the entire thing out. And this is all a direct result of Congress's decision to keep printing money, telling them banks that you're not allowed to do foreclosures. And essentially Biden caused this. There's no way around it. Well, uh, Trump is responsible for a lot of that printing. Oh, I'm hell not, yeah. I'm, no, not, I can't, I'm, gonna... I, I'm not saying Trump did it, but Biden could have stopped all of these. Bad Agreed. Ideas they won, and he Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so yeah I, so I said that wrong. Trump did cause it because he was there in the beginning. 100%. Biden could have stopped this. At Agreed. Any point, and he could do it today. Yeah. So yeah, there's not one party that's right here. They're both wrong. They both suck. I don't want to try to. Yeah. Take that okay. On, on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very interesting. Uh, what do you, so last thing about that, and then I kind of want to switch to something else is that, uh, so what, what is, as an investor then, how are you looking at this? Are you, are you trying to position yourself to be on the, on the sidelines with cash um, and go in with the dip like most wealthy people do where they wait for that? They could, oh yeah, we already did that. Yeah. yeah. But, but back in 19, when, when it was pretty obvious that I'm going to be unessential because that's what governor Wolf said I was mm-hmm. um, for a foreseeable future, every single property had a good enough tenant in it. We refinanced. We, we got every single ounce of equity we could out of our places. And like it's, yeah, it's that we said, there's just cash sitting on the sideline. Um, and because it's the right thing to do for my business. And it's, it's the only way that these broken areas will have a chance of getting rebuilt is if someone buys them. So yes, I'm not going to be stupid about it. I'm going to wait until I get the most return on my purchases, but that's how it's going to be. And that's exactly what we did seeing this problem coming. Yeah. Very insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Let's switch over to your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Um, Why, you know, why create a podcast? Why did you feel compelled to create a podcast about faith, Jesus, God? Yeah. yeah. So it actually started with that transition. We were just talking about The, 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 the transition from Obama to Trump was not awesome to say the least and basically this country divided itself into fox people or cnn people or at least that's the way they presented it on twitter and on tv the reality is most people didn't care um at the end of the day most people did not care until COVID happened but every time a culture or a civilization whatever you want to call it throughout world history has started to not listen to its opposition members within its country, something very bad has happened. And basically there's three options. Either A, they go to war with someone else. They go to B, they go to war with themselves. Or C, they do a genocide within themselves, which is really just the way of saying a really one-sided war. Mm -hmm. So that's inevitably what happens down this road of not being willing to talk to each other. So there's might be positioning to make sure that I'm on the right side of the genocide and I'm not the one being taken out. 
but it's never good. But the way you can fix this problem before it is, is to have dialogue and fix yourself, essentially. Make sure that you're not going down the road of, of not being able to listen or, or communicate with each other. And that's really what the goal of Father and Joe is at the end of the day is, is to figure out how to make a better relationship, starting with yourself and as well with others, and inevitably recognizing that that it's all underneath the framework of your relationship with God, whether you want to recognize it as not. So every one of our episodes, we try to you know give someone something tangible that they can walk away with to implement in their lives to make them better. And, you know, people get this a little scared inside them, like they talk about Jesus or God podcast, like they, they get those little pits inside them. Like, I don't want to talk about that because I'm going to go to this bad thing that happened to me when I was younger. Mm. And because, you know, so many ways, that's how religion was taught, that that's how people addressed it. And it's really the opposite of how we go about it. We, we, we try to do, address everything saying that, yeah, things happen that you wish would have been different. And that's part of life. But what we need to do is look at how to make ourselves better, really to start with being able to love ourselves again, so we can be able to love other people and be better in our relationships around the world. Well, I commend you for starting that. Um, I'm a firm believer the only way the country ever comes back together is if they turn back to God, because that, that's the unifier, 100%. So we'll see. Scary times ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, maybe we can end on a positive note here. Not not that everything was negative, but I mean, I, I believe you're just telling the truth, uh, Joe. You're yeah, the truth as I see it, yeah. yeah. Exactly, It's yeah. a very educated truth. It's not like I'm making this up. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. And the truth hurts sometimes. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, so we're on the half hour here, about ready to wrap up. And uh, one question I'd like to ask every guest is knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to when you first started your business or businesses, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I would have judged people more. As much as society says you shouldn't judge anyone, I would have judged people more because what I found was the tenants that I didn't, that, that I saw something wrong, mm-hmm. that I knew was wrong in the back of my mind, but I let it slide that has, has always become the biggest problem ever. Um, and, and it's not judging people based upon how they look or anything like that. It's, it's not letting things slide on credit reports or giving them excuses for, for how they got whatever situation they're in. I like that. Uh, Joe, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. If, if people want to learn more about you, your companies and your podcast, where can people find and follow you? Well, Father and Joe, it's straightforward, three words, Father and Joe. That's us on, on the podcast level, those we discussed there. On a professional level, if anyone ever will want to reach out, questions about real estate or what have you, it's the number 412, the word homes at gmail.com. That is not original. 412 is Pittsburgh's area code. It is 412homes at gmail.com. Beautiful. All right. Thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate your time.